1: Lori Lightfoot, uh, welcome to the show. It's a new surroundings. What do you think of this place? I, I, I
0: like your new digs. You need a little artwork here. I think, <laughs> yeah, you know? I think so. Just, instead of just sign saying, Ben Jirotsky, <laughs> he's the greatest.
1: Well, the sign doesn't literally, I just so everybody knows, doesn't literally say that. But maybe we think that in the back of our mind. Uh, but uh, Lori was a guest on my old show several times, and I'm happy to say she came back. I also also want to say I've reached out to the Tony Perkwinkle campaign. For reasons I don't understand, they've not got back to me, Lori Lightfoot. I cannot force anybody to come on the Ben Jarofsky show. It is not the Army. It is a radio show or a podcast, I should say. So anyway, maybe Tony will uh, avail herself of that. But the invitation is out to her uh, as well. All right, Lori Lightfoot is my guest in the studio. As I said, Lori, you were not a favorite uh, to emerge into the second round um, I think most people were predicting Daly versus Preckwinkle, and uh, yet you emerged, you had the most votes, uh, and many people are now saying you are the favorite. Do you have that sense that you're the favorite right now?
0: Look, we're running as the underdogs. You know, I'm running against somebody who's got almost 40 years of experience as a politician, mm-hmm. who's at the top of the. Um, party and who is able to pull all the levers of power that she's accumulated over time it is very well funded. So we take nothing for granted, and and the last thing we want to do is start patting ourselves on the back and taking a victory lap. How many times have you seen that, Ben? Yeah. And then a the person's at the on election day says, "Oh, what happened?" Hillary you know, Clinton,
1: did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so we're we're not going to make those kinds of mistakes. We keep running very very hard. We're grateful for the momentum that we built up. We're grateful for the outpouring of support, and today we get the uh, Tribune endorsement. So that's uh, the the tr- news.
1: I'm stunned. The uh, Tribune yeah. endorsed you. I don't know if you want that one, but that's a whole. That's my bias, not yours, Lori Lightfoot. The well, Tribune endorsed you.
0: The Tribune endorsed, and I'm, I, I hasten to add, the Sun Times was first.
1: Yes. The Sun-Times was first. We talked about that just the other day with Tom McNamee. The Sun-Times was first. All right. Now, you mentioned that your opponent has 40 years experience uh, in Chicago politics. uh, She was first elected, I think. I'm doing this off the top of my head, 1991 for Alderman of the Fourth Ward. So she's been around. People know the name. They kind of have an expectation uh, about Tony Pringwinkle. Lori Lightfoot is a little different. This is your first run. Uh, for elected office you're running for the top office in the city right. of chicago first time uh, out of the box and so i think that a lot of voters uh Lori, are trying to figure out what are they going to get when they elect Lori lightfoot and uh so help them out a little bit what will they get if they elect you mayor of city of chicago well
0: they're going to get somebody who's going to try to stake put the death knell into the chicago machine on april 3rd or maybe that night Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to break away from the past. I've been hearing it. The message is loud and clear. And I think the interesting thing about what's happened in the dynamic of the race is a lot of people wanted change, but they didn't think it was possible. Very cynical, skeptical that anything would ever be any different because, as you well know, the machine was built to last. Yeah. It had an incredible grip, not only on government, but on every aspect of life in the city So people wanted it, but I think what happened with my election is they started to think, wow, this might actually Mm -hmm. be possible. So what they can expect is someone who's going to work tirelessly on behalf of the residents of the city. I'm going to do everything that I can to start day one to make sure that we start keeping our city safer than it has been. And I'm going to really work hard to make good on the Uh, promises that I made in the course of this campaign, which is to bring real investment to neighborhoods all over the city, particularly south of Roosevelt Road, and west of Ashland.
1: All right, you got two points, uh, safer neighborhoods, real investment. Before we get to that, let's talk about the machine a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're singing my song when you talk about the end of the machine. I remember the great Harold Washington, and uh, Mark Sims said we should not live in the past. We keep talking about Harold Washington. Uh, but he talked about how he was going to bell that cat. I forget how he put it. This is before your time. And we, and he was going to bell the, the cat being the Chicago machine. You were an appointee by Mayor Daley, uh, he epitomizes the Chicago machine so when did it become obvious to you that you Lori Lightfoot wanted to uh, put an end to the Chicago machine I mean you were working essentially for the Chicago machine when you were an appointee for daily.
0: well I was actually a city employee not an appointee so that's an important distinction for me look I, I you know I, this is an uh, interesting fascinating place I came here over 32 years ago from Washington D.C. at a time when You know, I was young, I was in my 20s, and I was enthusiastic about politics, and then I got to Chicago and I thought, ooh, this is something I've never seen before. So I've always had this fascination with how politics work in the city, but it's become very clear to me um, over the last few years, probably three, four years, that the machine doesn't work. And that's actually not even really true. It it, it really struck me early on in my time here, and let me tell you why. I started my life in the city in in Hyde Park. You leave Hyde Park, you go west through Washington Park. And I remember driving to Old Midway Airport across 55th Street. You leave Hyde Park and you see this neighborhood that hasn't been invested in, and people are hanging on the street, and there's trash everywhere, and there's vacant lots, and on and on and on. So this is in 1986, and then you get to Western Avenue. And it's like that scene where Dorothy's leaving the dark forest and going into the technicolor world of Oz. It's just crossing that street. The world changed. Mm-hmm. And I asked myself, look, this, what I, what's right behind me, East, that I just traveled through, those neighborhoods have been, have been represented by black elected officials for decades. What are, where are they? What are they doing? And then you, you come to learn, well, the, here's what the machine demands. Absolute loyalty, never questioning, complete complicity, and silence. Those are the things that fuel the machine, and that grip was so powerful that it deprived neighborhoods and people of opportunity and investment. So I kind of became aware of that early on, but, but the possibility of changing that mm-hmm has been an evolutionary period uh, or evolutionary arc for me over a long time. I've spent a lot of time working on redistricting reform, fighting the machine, and other things that just weren't possible because of silence, complicity, and loyalty.
1: You know, uh, demanding silence, complicity, and loyalty, uh, I've long advocated that one of the big problems in the city of Chicago is that whoever the mayor is, Uh, well, since uh, 1989, the mayor has demanded silence and complicity Uh, You have to support the mayor on every position, no matter if you disagree with it or not. The whole city mayor wants the Olympics in the city of Chicago. Everybody's got to be aboard. corporate Chicago's got to be aboard. If you dare to to speak out, they look at you like you're weird. Did you feel that pressure when you were working for uh, when you were in the city government during the daily years? Uh, Did you feel that pressure to uh, toe the line and uh, be in complete agreement with the daily administration?
0: I didn't really feel it until I got to City Hall working in the city's procurement department. And I'm a person who calls it as I see it. So we started uh, breaking some eggs and then started getting the calls from the fifth floor. So this was at a, a time when the FBI raided City Hall. Do you mm-hmm. remember that summer? Oh, yeah.
1: 2006, I want to 2005. say. 2005. Yeah.
0: Oh, 2005. Um, and uh, uh, through a lot of circumstances. Look, you can't work with in, inside of government. If you don't have the support of the leadership, it's very difficult. And I was at the epicenter of of money and power and business in the city's procurement department, and there are a lot of people who were dining at the trough, but doing it in ways that were unfair, that had special rules, and that's not how I play. So pushing back on that, telling people that they had to play by the same rules as everybody else didn't sit too well with them and then phone calls started getting lobbed to the fifth floor, and then pressure started coming down on Did
1: the mayor himself ever call you?
0: No, the mayor never never called. It was always uh, some minion calling.
1: And the minion let you know that he or she was speaking for the mayor? Yeah,
0: well, everybody always said they were speaking for Rich Daly. That was this thing that happened. It was a very interesting phenomenon, whether it was true or not, but you knew from the person who was calling that it was it was done with complete authority and acceptance. And so when it became clear to me that there was only so much more we could do to really reform the procurement department, and the when the FBI was swarming and I decided, I think wisely, that I didn't want to become somebody who spent all of my time in somebody's grand jury, mm-hmm. I decided it was time for me to leave and go back to private practice. All
1: right. In your mind, what was the this difference between Daley and Rahm? In my mind, they're sort of cut from the same cloth. Uh, autocratic behavior, bullying behavior. Uh, do you
0: see a distinction? Yeah. I, I, I do. And I'm not going to say that I know either of them well because I don't. Mm-hmm. I have very little FaceTime with Daly, very little FaceTime with Rom, certainly not an intimate of either. I think the biggest line of demarcation between the two of them was Daly's incredible love of the city. I mean, he really did love the city. Whether I think there was a lot of things you could criticize Daily for, and I know you wrote many, many columns and spilled a lot of ink on that topic, the same with Rahm. But there was this passion for Chicago. I don't think he ever aspired to be something other than the mayor of Chicago. And having grown up in the city, obviously with the, the family legacy that he had, you could see that. There were certain things, like one of my pet peeves right now is, the fact that it's damn near impossible to travel um, the city with any reasonable amount of time because traffic's just out of control. Yeah. The the seemingly never-ending construction at the Jane Byrne interchange. Mayor Daly would have never allow that to happen. There's no chance. Um, so there's lots of things to criticize him about. I think he valued loyalty over merit in some instances, but there are things that he was able to get done because he loved the city in a way that. I don't think that Rahm ever did. And I, and I don't think that Rom ever really invested himself in knowing all the texture and nuance of the city and particularly the neighborhoods. Um, he's not a person who's, I think, comfortable going out in large crowds unless they're adoring fans, you know, <laughs> praising the greater glory of, of Rom. And, you know, the one thing that I learned from my old boss, Terry Hillard at the police department, sometimes you just got to go out in public and take your beating. That's what democracy is all about. That's what being a leader is all about. You know, you just have to face the public mm-hmm. good for good or for bad. And sometimes you're going to come out of that circumstance pretty banged up. But then you pick yourself up and you go back again and do the people's work.
1: All right. Very good. Lori Lightfoot is my guest in the studio. Let's. Uh uh, take a little deeper dive in something you you already alluded to real investment in neighborhoods uh you know where i'm going to go with this 1.3 billion mm-hmm. uh we're about to uh, the city council approved the zoning on the lincoln yards deal on the north side of chicago uh 1.3 billion dollars in property taxes and when the deal was done Lori mayor Rahm got in front of the city council and said uh this will increase our property tax yield he had to know the way a TIF program works is you actually limit the amount of land that the public municipal bodies can tax. So it's going to increase. It's, it does the exact opposite thing that he says in investing in an upscale neighborhood. How are you going to change that? First of all, are you going to uh, there's still one more vote on that? You could be the mayor elect. Are you going to go to the Chicago City Council and demand or ask them, request that they not uh, vote for this, that they defer action on the $1.3 billion until you're mayor?
0: I've been doing that consistently for a couple months. If I'm mayor-elect, I'm going to do everything I can to make that happen. Look, look but we can't, we're, I'm not anti-development. Development is the lifeblood of the city. But as my mother would say, there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. The fact that people don't understand, because it hasn't been in the public view, What's the impact on transportation? What's the impact on infrastructure? What's the impact because of this incredibly dense mini city gonna have on the surrounding neighborhood and the quality of life? And you hit the nail on the head. $1.2 billion, that land's gonna be invested whether the city puts a nickel in or not. And I'm not saying that we should back away from it, but the process matters understanding impact matters, engaging the people whose lives are most gonna be affected on the front end and not trying to sell them some pre-made up deal that they never had any part of. That's that's what the flaw is in this process. And I've been very clear with that for anybody who's gonna listen, particularly the Sterling Bay folks, that this is not the way we're gonna do business if I'm mayor of the city, we're not gonna do that. And of course, you're 100% right, it is a zero sum game with TIF dollars, and we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can and thinking creatively about whether can we port some of these TIF dollars into other parts of the uh, the city that desperately need that investment. Now, I think that's probably going to take a fix at the in Springfield, but that's something we have to think about because these other neighborhoods are starving, mm-hmm. and when we when they see that amount of money put into a neighborhood on the north side, when they have nothing, you think about Roseland and and Pullman and Austin. I've spent a lot of time in the last week, in particular, on the west side. The only economic development that's going on over there is some churches, some funeral homes, some gas stations, liquor stores, and the occasional corner store, who, by the way, is likely owned by somebody that doesn't even live in the city and isn't hiring from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So when we think about that, Graphic example of disparity. We have to do better in this city.
1: Do you think that there's a realistic way to get uh, development to occur? We talk about this all the time with Mark Sims. He lives in, uh, he's from Roseland originally. We always talk about the need to invest uh, in the south side of the Chicago, in the south side of Chicago. Lori, my sense has been that uh, there's been a sort of benign neglect that's been going on for the last twenty years when it comes uh, to development. Let the system just sort of run its course. Let poor people move out of the city of Chicago. Uh, let the gentrification process move south uh, and west from the loop. That seems to be the planning policy that the city has been following since the daily years in the 90s. Do you think there's any realistic way to change that?
0: I do. I think we have to. And I think you're being charitable and calling it benign. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just abject <laughs> neglect. We have to. We have to. We cannot continue to ignore the needs of people in these neighborhoods. And, and 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 if you only care about the financial impact, think about the fact that we have a shrinking tax base. And we have people who are means and able are leaving the city. So that means only the super rich are going to stay here. And only the really poor and destitute are going to stay here. That gap and chasm between the haves and the have-nots, there's real co- tangible cost for that. So for the people who stay because they can't leave, their needs are gonna be profound. For the people who are in the haves category who stay, the financial burden, and I put myself in that category because I've been very lucky in my life, the, the financial burden on us is gonna be profound as well. So isn't it better, and I think about you know my University of Chicago training, to invest in people on the front end of their life. You get a bigger return on investment than waiting until something terrible happens 10, 20 years down the road and then try to solve the problem. It makes no sense.
1: Lori LeFidman is my guest. She's running for mayor of the city of Chicago. You mentioned the super rich in the city and uh, I get calls all the time uh, from housing activists who are trying to get me to write about or talk about the need for rent control in the mm-hmm. city, the need for more affordable housing in the city. It's huge. It, uh, so first of all, what's your position on the rent control bill that's now advancing? Uh, well, it's at least in the House. I don't yeah. know where
0: it's the status. Yeah, is. Will Gazardi I think, is the main sponsor mm-hmm. of that. And look, I totally understand why people want that fix. But here's the sad reality. We can't wait for Springfield. We have an urgent crisis. 120,000 units down. Two-thirds of the city. Not a single unit been built in the last 15 years. And I don't know if you caught this, Ben, but about two weeks ago, and I got lost in the shuffle. And I'm not sure anybody's reported on it. About two weeks ago, the city's inspector general released a report that did an audit of the In lieu of Fee program. Here, it's hard for me to get the words out. <laughs> the, the Department of Planning failed to f- uh, open up a dedicated account for those monies so they can't keep track of them. They don't know where they are. You
1: talk about the monies that developers contribute to... Uh,
0: Hundreds of millions of mm-hmm. dollars that have been poured into what was supposed to be a dedicated account mm-hmm. used to then build housing and they don't have a sense of where that money's going. Well, we all know it's going into the general fund. But tell me, how you under, how you even start to get your mind around that level of callousness and incompetence.
1: Well, it's remarkable. Well, Lori, what it seems to me is this is another example uh, that there's really to put it mildly, not much of a will in the in the city. Uh, to re- keep Chicago as an affordable city. I, I believe, again, this is the Chris Kennedy theory. He ran for uh, governor. He accused Mayor Rahm, and should accuse Daley as well, of planning policies that were intended to gentrify the city, intend to make the city wealthier. And one very concrete uh, example of that is the... Um, The way the formula we use to determine what is affordable housing. Now we get into the weeds here about this, but the reality is I think it's like sixty percent of the area median income and that determines the threshold of what is affordable rent. Mm -hmm. That is excluding a lot of people who are working class $20,000 a year, $30,000, $40,000 a year. It's like saying, beat it, leave Chicago. Are you right. going to change that? Well,
0: we have, to, we have to change that. We can't have a city where people can't afford to live, and particularly families can't afford to live. I live in Logan Square. Um, there's a lot of change that's going on in the, almost 15 years since I've lived there. And one of the worst is that my neighbors, who are either renters, or, or homeowners where that's their only asset. They're getting squeezed. Now, we have to take note of the broken, corrupt property tax system that Joe Berrios presided over and that, frankly, Tony Preckwinkle protected. But you know how this works. If downtown commercial properties are undervalued, mm-hmm. you got to make up that money somewhere. And that is being made up on the backs of low-income, mostly people of color who own their homes. So residential property owners are bearing the brunt of that broken and corrupt system. So we have to fix that. I'm not going to be a mayor who stands silently in the face of that kind of inequity. Uh, I like Fritz Kage a lot, but I'm going to be active and engaged in pressing him to fix that system as quickly as possible so we can give people relief.
1: All right. Now, you don't understand the irony of this. Uh, If you fix the system, which I agree the system should be fixed, uh, property taxes will probably rise uh, in the areas that were most supportive of you, which is the north side. Because right now, the north side is getting the advantage uh, when you think about a skewed system of assessing property value. I always said this to Fritz Kage when he would come on the show. Fritz, you're, you're advocating something that's going to hurt the people or it's going to make the people that are supporting you pay more in taxes. How well, do you deal with that?
0: Look, I, I'm not sure about that because I'm hearing from a lot of people in those lakefront wards that they're already getting crushed. They got the new property tax assessment that's still on the old system, and it's doubled and tripled in ways that seem incredibly arbitrary. So thank you, Joe Berrios, for that parting uh, gift. That's got to be fixed. Well, look, what people understand is that we have to pay our fair share of taxes to support the common good. And I don't think most people disagree with that, particularly not in this very, very blue city. But they want fairness, and they want competence in government. So I get pressed all the time, hey, what are you gonna do about the pension problem, this and this and this. and what I say is this, we have to make the case for revenue. People feel like they're getting nickel to dime, they're getting taxed to death, the government's unresponsive. They're not getting services for their um, hard-earned tax dollars. So one of, the one of the, I think, the cr- critical functions that I have to invest in early on if I become mayor is demonstrating to people that we're going to run city government in a very different way and a much more cost-effective way. We are literally collecting tax dollars, putting it on paper and lighting them on fire, putting them on a table and lighting them on fire because we are wasting an outrageous amount of money. The presumption seems to be well, here's this big box, a piggy bank, if you will. This is city government, and we just need to keep finding sources of revenue to feed the beast. Rather than saying, you know, do we need this? Do we need that? Can we do this more efficiently? Those are the kind of questions that I'm going to answer and why we have to have a risk manager.
1: Are, are you ready to put any proposals on the table? I, I, we used to joke all the time about trying to get J.B. Pritzker, try to pin J.B. Prisker down when he was running for governor on uh, what his tax rates would be under uh, the progressive tax plan or what, how he's going to raise revenues. Most politicians, and this is your first time out, but you're already learning the game, most politicians that are running for auction office, don't put any specific proposals out because they don't want the hit ad to come yeah, at them. Yeah. So are you willing to put any specific... I'm not even going to waste my time trying to pin you down. Just tell me this. Are you going to put any specific proposals down for new forms of money to try to fund government? Well,
0: look, we haven't landed on what the menu of options has to be, and it can't be one thing. It's got to be multiple things. But the instructions that I've given to my finance team is this. We, we can't keep balancing the city's budget on the backs of people who are least able Mm -hmm. to afford it so one of the things that we will talk about more specifically uh before this is all said and done and before april 2nd is this ridiculous ticketing system that we have here in the city i mean you know people are worried about a lot of things but i can't tell you how many times i hear that i lost my car the fines were doubled i lost my driver's license Give me a break here. If you're a hard-working working-class individual family, and you need your car, you need to be able to. Um, and if you you don't have a margin, a surplus, a savings where you can afford to pay five hundred dollars or more, six hundred dollars, or worse, have your car taken away from you. So we have to reform that specifically, and that's just one example. The other thing that we have to do is I we, I'm not prepared to do anything that's actually going to shrink our tax base by driving businesses out of the city.
1: Are you gonna take away the city sticker fee?
0: I'd like to, that is something I think we have to think very seriously about. Look, a lot of this stuff is gonna be automated Mm -hmm. and it's gonna go to kiosk. There's a serious question as to whether or not we're doing more harm than good by having a city sticker. I think we do need to think about how we make sure that we know what cars are on the road and things like that. But there again, that's a regressive form of taxation that drives people crazy Mm -hmm. me included
1: yeah all right now uh let's move away from these specific programs and talk more a little general about what they call character issues again your this is your first run for office and i get a lot of questions from people how can i believe lori lightfoot what what can she do to assure me that I can believe that she is truly uh, progressive? And um, in the news, there's the issue of like the campaign, con- some of the people who funded your uh, campaign uh, in the last, since you won, since mm-hmm. you won, basically. Uh, D- is a story that ran, was it yesterday uh, in WBEZ about change Chicago? Uh, what does he call it? Uh, Dark money. <laughs> um, how... How can people believe that Lori Lightfoot truly is a progressive uh, when we see things like the, the people she gets money from or the group she gets money from? Well,
0: you should look at the people that I get money from. And first of all, that donation was about five months ago. And the... Freckwinkle people tried to, it, tried to float it, tried to float it, tried to float it, and then he finally got somebody to bite. So, you know, God bless Dan, but dude, Dan. dude <laughs> come my guy. on, right? But look, if you look at all the 14 people that ran, I'm the only one that had a consistent amount of small donors. I've had thousands of people mm-hmm. literally donating $3, $5, $25 in a way that's far different than anybody else, and certainly are different than Tony Preckwinkle, whose campaign is funded largely by a single donor. That's a union. Um, So I think you look at who has been funding. I'm getting funding from donations, I should say, from retired teachers, current teachers, city workers, firemen, policemen, Mm -hmm. you know, just ordinary citizens who want change. Mm -hmm. Everywhere I go now, walking down the street, um, people's uh, posting on our Facebook page, talking about the fact that they finally think that machine could be in the final death knell. They want change. They want to believe that we have the opportunity to have an independent leader in city government for the first time since Harold Washington in 1986 when he uh, met his untimely death, 1987 when he met his untimely death. Mm -hmm. So... There's a level of enthusiasm about my campaign because of that.
1: Well, one of the theories that uh, was put forth uh, in this very show by Tom McNamee, the editorial uh, board editor of the Sun-Times, we were talking about the, the increase in campaign contributions that you've gotten from uh, people who are more like on the Republican side of the, uh, the uh, aisle, rot, uh, Rocky Wurtz uh, from the uh, Blackhawks. Uh, uh, pops into my mind. The Dushy Swa's family pops into my mind. And Tom McNamee uh, put this theory they think she's going to win. They're putting money down at her now because they want to uh, have some influence over her. So is it a case in these instances where you made the phone call, uh, a campaign request, or did the money just come in once people saw you won and they wanted to back the winner?
0: I'll say this. I'll say two things. Um, I have a lot of new friends <laughs> since February 26th, yeah. right? But But I'm still the same person. And I hope nobody's foolish enough to think that by giving me a campaign donation, they're going to get me to cut and paste my integrity and who I am, because that's never happening.
1: All right. I'll take that answer for the moment. All right. Now, something that's been on my mind I have to ask you about. um, Oh. This point, uh, people barrage me with uh, emails the other day, text messages. You made a comment about uh, converting schools into the police police academies, mm-hmm. and that really irritated a lot of friends of mine. And they said, when you get Lori Lightfoot on that show, of yours, you ask her, does she want to take abandoned schools in the city of Chicago, which probably should never have been closed in the first place? That's my editorial mm-hmm. aside, and turn them into police academies. No, I,
0: I, in context, we were talking hypothetically about. What do you do to make sure that people, the police officers are well-trained? Look, the city council took that vote the other day. It's moot. The training academy is going on the west side. I've opposed that training academy because of the way in which that process worked, which excluded people from the conversation and people in that community who desperately need investment. Nothing will happen on my watch, and certainly not the repurposing of those 38 schools that remain uh, on uh, CPS's ledger, without going into the community, talking to people about how we can turn those schools into their assets. That's the way the process has to work. That's why I opposed the so-called cop academy. That's why I stood with the families of NTA. The process matters. Nothing will have legitimacy if people feel like they've not been listened to, they've not been heard. And you know this as well as I do. We are at a heightened state of activism in a city, which I think is a good thing. And people are paying close attention. They're able to educate themselves about the issues. And they are not going to stand for a style of government that tries to shove things down people's throats without listening and engaging. And I understand that. I respect it. And I support it.
1: You know, speaking of the old way of doing things, there's a story that's just breaking uh, the last couple of days. Uh, Jesse Smollett, who, of course, has uh, been indicted on filing a false report. It has now turned out that Kim Fox took a phone call from Tina Chen, who is representing uh, some unnamed relative of uh, Jesse Smollett, asking that she intervene and get the uh, Eddie Johnson to uh, move the, the um, investigation to the FBI. Do you think that's an appropriate uh, kind of uh, process for our state's attorney to be involved in.
0: You know what, I, I don't know enough about the details to be able to cast any judgment on that, but what I think Kim did right is once the case turned and became a criminal case against Millette, she recused herself, and that was the right thing to do. Look, you know, I, it's 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 a cautionary tale for me, right? People are going to reach out. People are going to want to have access. People are going to want you to do certain things, and I know that I will have a certain level of insulation from those kinds of things, um, before the reason that we were just talking about. Nobody's gonna buy me. Nobody's gonna persuade me because of their access. But you you have to figure out how you strike the right balance so that you're still listening and you're not living in a bubble where you're excluded from having a pulse on what's happening out there in the neighborhoods in particular. But Kim, I think, is a person of high integrity. I have a lot of respect for her. And she did the right thing by recusing herself.
1: Yeah, of course, she didn't reveal why she recused herself until uh, the papers came after her. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I did do three things. It was the right thing to recuse yourself, uh, probably. Uh, all right. Before I let you go out the door, uh, a slightly different turn here. Let's take a turn from the issues uh, uh, that you'll be facing as mayor. It's one of the little delightful si- asides that I learned from Carol Marine's debate or that, that Carol moderated. I did not realize you were a sports fan. Oh, yeah. No. You're a, a Bears fan. Uh, you're a Bears season tickle holder. Yep. So I'm going to make everything political, even football. Should the Bears have hired as their backup quarterback in 2017 Colin Kaepernick as opposed to Mike Glenn and Lori Lightfoot to handle the hard question?
0: Without a doubt. I mean, you look at Ka- you look at Kaepernick's skill and abilities. The fact that he is not in the league now, I'll, you know. Of course, we all want to know what the settlement was, but it's ridiculous that that guy's not playing football because he expressed himself and exercised his First Amendment rights. And Glennon, <laughs> Glennon. I mean, first of all. Let's, yeah. let's talk about what yeah. he did at Tampa Bay. Yeah. A disaster. Yeah. And he gets out there on the field, and he's like, he's pay- playing in the Pee Wee League. Yeah. He's a horrible quarterback. And how much money did we pay him? And, uh, I
1: think it was $17 million. And,
0: how, and I think 14 guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. Outrageous. So, I'm happy to say it seems like we're on the right path. Yeah. That we've gotten over those blunders by Ryan Pace. But... That was a disaster.
1: And uh, why are you a Bears fan? You grew up in Ohio. You should be a Cleveland Browns fan.
0: Oh, man. When I was growing up in the 60s and 70s in Cleveland, the Browns were awful. Every, every professional sports team.
1: Oh, you're after Jim Brown.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, every professional sports team in Cleveland. It was the, the Browns were bad. The, the Indians were awful. They even had a hockey team for a while, the Cleveland Barons. They were terrible. So actually, I grew up as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. For football,
1: Lori, what does this say about your character that you deserted the hometown teams just to go with the winner down the... St- and the Cleveland Brown fans are supposed to hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. Isn't that like kind of an interstate rivalry going there? Yeah,
0: you know what? I was close enough to Pittsburgh, and I was growing up during the time of the Steel Curtain. I loved Mean Joe Green and those guys, so... You know, sorry.
1: All right, Nadia's saying we got to go, and I do whatever Nadia tells me, but I'm going to ask you one last question before you walk out the door. One last question, all right, Nadia? Um, And that is the other thing from Carol Marine. Your favorite song that makes you want to get up and dance, Todd Rundgren, Just One more. Is that true, or is that a misquote?
0: No, no, it's totally true. You know, I'm I'm the youngest of uh, four kids. My siblings are quite a bit older than me. One of them brought home A Wizard, A True Star, the album on which that song uh, uh, occurred, I've, I've listened to that album a thousand times. And just when victory gets me pumped up every time. All right.
1: Very good. Uh, that's one of Dennis's favorites, Todd. He actually never heard of Todd. Never. So you're helping educate millennials already. You're helping our millennial population in the city of Chicago. Lori Lightfoot, I know you got to get out of here. Uh, Nadia, who calls the shots, is saying go, go, go. Thank you very much for coming, and I appreciate it. And uh, best of luck to you. All right.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.